again the uh, worship team for a great job last night and also Roy and Dave thank you it's great just to see their passion for uh, you know what they're doing and uh, and also be able to share that with us and us all be blessed from it thank you I don't think I'll ever be able to dance like Roy Arthur's I was uh, I was listening to that little video about being concrete Christians and I don't want to be racial, but sometimes I think there's just white Christians, and then there's, you know, whatever. But no, I won't get into that. But, um, you know, I think part of the problem, uh, as we think about salvation, I can say that because I'm white. Um, part, of, part of the problem when we talk about salvation is it's the way we look at ownership. And we want things to be ours so that we are in control of it. We, we want to have control, and therefore we like to say, this is mine now. You know, I have here, you might not recognize it, it's a California driver's license. I show you a UK one, but I'd have to borrow that from somebody else. But anyways, I, I have a California driver's license. Uh, it works here, by the way, just so you know. Um, but I also have on my, my hand, I have a wedding ring. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, with these two... Uh, objects do, do come responsibilities and privileges. And it's interesting because my responsibilities, though they could concern other people, basically have to do with me and a law system and, um, and my vehicle. And I was about to say I don't really have a relationship with my car, but, you know, I think that's probably not true. I, uh, sometimes my car makes me happy. Uh, sometimes I talk to it. Sometimes it needs encouragement just to do what it's supposed to do. Uh, sometimes I feel like it's talking to me and it's not saying really positive things either. Uh, I don't really like it when those little lights come on and start giving you messages that you, uh, you don't want to hear about. But you know, uh, basically, this, this is a, a piece of paper that is a contract that gives you some rights. I'm able then to drive a car, to obtain a, a insurance. I'm able to use that on the road. And, of course, there's doesn't mean I can make all my own rules, but I can operate within the traffic system. But, you know, this ring, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a little more complicated. Because to this ring, there's a matching ring. If there was no matching ring, it wouldn't really mean a lot. But because there's a matching ring, there's a relationship and that relationship works on two sides. And I think as we think about salvation, I think it's interesting and it's important for us to see it's more about a relationship than about a possession. It's more, it's more about who I know and who I'm connected to and this link that I have than it is about, well, this is mine now and I can do with it whatever I want. And see, I think we just, we live in a material world. We live in a world where possession... I, I know there's a phrase, I'm going to get this wrong probably, but possession is nine-tenths of the law. Is that, is that the way it goes? Okay. I mean, so if you, if you can show that you've had something for a certain length of time or even lived in a certain place, you actually begin to, under certain law systems, have some rights there. But the truth is, it's a, salvation with God is about a relationship we have with God. And I just want to build a little bit on some of the things even that Roy was sharing in communion. Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we've been studying through the book of Hebrews. And in many of the sort of sermons, even the way the book's written, it's laid out in an interesting way, 
we have sort of these, this encouraging teaching, these, these statements and explanation about Jesus and about his plan and even some examples from history, and then they're followed by some kind of personal application. But from chapters 7, 8, and 9, and most of 10, uh, the writer's really describing the Old Testament system of sacrifice and temple, and we've come through that now, and I realize there's some hard going at some moments just because it's not necessarily something we're familiar with in our day-to-day lives. But all, in all of that teaching, there's an image of the sacrifice that was made by Jesus Christ. And we talk about his blood, and the Bible talks about the life being in the blood. And the reason the blood of Jesus saves us is because God himself offered something, a part of himself for us. His forgiveness is a gift. And it's a gift only he could give. We can't earn it, we can't buy it. God gives it. So this he he offers it to us. But what's interesting is, there's a relationship in our salvation. And what God asks us to do in response to Him is to have faith. And uh, to have faith means to trust at one level when it's faith in a person. But it also means to, to believe that the words that are said are true and take them as truth. We come to Hebrews chapter 10, near the end of it, and after almost four chapters of really explaining how sacrifice works and why Jesus needed to do what he did and and how these Old Testament uh, images sort of give us insight into it, we come to a, uh, a very hard moment, and it's in verse 26. And so this lesson today will start a little bit with the hard challenge and then kind of go back into a little more of the story. But we'll pick this up then in Hebrews 10, verse 26. It says, If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who, who, who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It's mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God." You know, after four chapters of actually really describing the amazing sacrifice of Jesus, the Hebrew writer turns this back and says, you have to understand something, though. God has only one plan for your salvation. And if you don't accept that plan, there's no plan B. And so he says, if you deliberately keep on sinning, if you deliberately turn away in your relationship from God, what can God do about that? Because he's not going to save you against your will. Do you want to be saved? Yeah, we want to be saved, right? We want to be saved. So we want to be in this relationship with God. And so if we want to do that, then we don't want to deliberately keep on sinning. Now, you know, we do sin day to day. But this kind of sin that he's talking about is the sin of breaking the covenant. The sin of turning away from God. It isn't just an incidental sin. It's a sin of not wanting anymore your relationship with God. Not valuing it. 
And it's, it's like looking at this ring and saying, well, I see I have this ring, but I'm not going to live up to what this ring means. I'm not going to be faithful in relationship to my wife. Then what good is the ring? And I might be able to wave the ring around and people go, oh, look, he's married, he's got a ring. But if I'm not faithful to what the ring means, what good is the ring? Wouldn't you agree, dear? Yes, okay. You know, but the ring is good. Because it represents something good. It represents a commitment that two people have made to each other. And it's part of God's plan for even just learning more about Him and also to have uh, uh, you know, blessings in this life as well. But, you know, if you look at your notes, you'll, you'll realize they're long notes today. And we're not going to read all this. There's two pages, though, just of printed out verses. The first two pages, pretty much. And really what this is, is it's all the positive, and it's not even all. There could, I could have picked up some more. But these are positive statements about what God is trying to do for us. And so just read, we'll just start, just kind of run through it. Uh, it says, in the last days God has spoken to us through His Son. Wow, that's amazing. God speaking to us through His Son. The next verse After he, the Son, had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Which simply means Jesus finished what he came to do. It's completed. And then we see this. Uh, We see Jesus, who's made little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And then it goes on to say he became just like us. He was in flesh just like us. And he became our high priest because he represents us to God. And he knows our weakness. And then interspersed with this, there are some challenges. And we read almost at the bottom of the first page, We are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown Him as you've helped His people and continue to help them. Another word of encouragement. Uh, It goes on. God's made a promise and He wanted us to know that that promise is so certain He even made an oath, which is not unnecessary. God simply says, let there be light and there's light. But God made an oath just so we would know He intends to keep His promise. You know, we go to the top of the second page. It says, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Going on, such a high priest meets our need. One is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. And so what we see through all this imagery is we don't have a high priest who killed a animal and then put it in our stead we have a high priest who offered himself god's forgiveness of us cost god something and it cost him the sacrifice of his son on the cross then a very encouraging text that's it quoted from chapter 8 the ministry of jesus has received is a superior to theirs as the covenant which he, he he mediates is superior to the old one and it is founded on better promises This is the covenant. I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. They will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Does that sound awesome? God is is wiping away our sins. 
And then he goes on to explain about how the blood of Christ cleanses us. And it cleanses our consciences from acts to lead, lead to death. Because when we sin, our consciences, our own consciences, condemn us and fill us with shame. And that shame separates us. How do you feel when you've done something to hurt someone else's feelings? They know it and you know it. Can you look them in the eye? You know, if you, if you look them in the eye, you know that you need to say, I'm sorry. You need to face up to that. But there's a shame. And even things get broken, relationships get separated because of the conscience and the shame and the heart. But the blood of Christ. See, if Jesus says, I forgive you, if, if God says, I have done something that can remove that guilt and cover your shame, that is enough. And our consciences can accept that. Adam and Eve made fig, put fig leaves together. But as soon as God turned up, they hid themselves. But God made them clothing from animal skins. And there they could stand before God and each other without shame. And so Christ has appeared once and for all, at the end of all the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And then... In chapter 10, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us to the curtain that is His body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having had our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And then to just quote back from chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, fix your thoughts on Jesus. You know, if you're going to give a title to the book of Hebrews, I definitely like this idea. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And that will come out in chapter 12. But he said in chapter 3, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Because if salvation is all about Jesus. It's about the sacrifice He made for us. It's about His blood cleansing us. It's about His body that bore His Spirit to the cross. And so God operated through the body of Jesus to give us forgiveness. But along with all these encouragements, throughout the book of Hebrews, there's warnings. Because salvation is offered. God doesn't force it on anyone. You know, he doesn't say to somebody, you're going to be saved, you're not going to be saved, I've just decided. What he says is, I want everyone to be saved, and here's the message. Here's how much I love you, will you respond to me in love? So these, these warnings that we read in Hebrews, they're for us. Because the book of Hebrews wasn't written to non-Christians, it was written to disciples. In fact, disciples with many of them a Jewish background and a deep knowledge of the Scriptures, and it was written to them so they would remain faithful. But look what he says. We're about halfway, or a little more than halfway down the second page. In Hebrews 3, 6, we've we've studied this earlier, it says, We are God's house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. And then a little later in verse 14, We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at heart uh, at first. You know, this word if is very important. Because if is a condition. And what he's saying to us is, we're God's house if we do this. He's not saying 
if you just have the license, or even if you just have the ring, the question is, are you in the relationship? Are you committed? If we hold on to our courage in the hope of which we boast, if we hold firmly to the end we, the confidence we had at first, because there's a decision we must make every day. How many people when they get married are planning to get divorced? Okay, only when it's for money. I guess there are a few, uh, there's a few you know, constructs you could see that being possible. But in general life, people don't get married to get divorced. But you know, to, get ma- to stay married, you have to wake up in the morning and go, I'm married. And now, Lord help me, live like it. Live like I'm married. Help me to cherish this woman that God, that God you've given me. And women, help me love my husband that you give me. Like it, it, we're, we need God's help in this. Just simply because you have the ring doesn't mean the marriage is fulfilling the potential for which it was meant. And the reason we have divorce and a frightening amount of divorce is there's a certain day when some married people wake up and they don't think to themselves, I'm married, what does that mean? What they actually think is, I am married and I don't want to be married. Or they don't even think about it at all. Because they're already that far away from it in their hearts. And it's just that can happen in a marriage. It can happen in our salvation. We can turn away from God. Just like we could turn away from a wife or from a husband. And so what does he say throughout the book? There's warnings. Do not harden your heart. Repeated three times. In Hebrews 3, 12, 13 at the bottom of the second page, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Well, there's no, no better way to encourage than to remind each other of what God has done for us. Let's go back to the body of this letter. God has offered the sacrifice. Our salvation isn't based on our perfection. It's based on the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. It's been done. It's it's sorted. Accept it. And then there's just you know further warnings. You can you can read further. We've we've covered them. But you know just pick this up about a third of the way down the third page. We want each one of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And then a verse we looked at a few weeks ago, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The Hebrew writer didn't believe once saved, always saved. The Hebrew writer didn't believe just because you got your license, you don't have to do anything to keep it. The Hebrew writer believed salvation is a relationship, it's a covenant that we have with God. God's done His part and He invites us to do ours. And God continually does His part and we need to continually do ours. But the answer, what is our part? It is faith. It is faith. And we'll talk more. That's how this lesson really ends. You know, Jesus told the parable of a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Gee, Jesus is talking about a wedding banquet for his son. I wonder who he's talking about. About the king. That would be God. The wedding banquet is going to be heaven and his son. Well, we know who that is. That's Jesus. 
But what happens in this story? Those originally invited didn't come. Even though they were, they, they were told, it's ready, come. They'd been invited before it was ready, so they knew when it was ready they could come. But then when it was actually ready, twice the king sent out his messengers and they refused to come. We're busy doing our things. So then an open invitation went out to everyone. But someone came who wasn't wearing wedding clothes and they were forcibly removed. They came, but they didn't follow the code of coming in. And Jesus ended that parable, Matthew twenty-two fourteen, with this, these words, Many are invited, but few are chosen. Our salvation isn't just a moment in time. It's an ongoing process. We live in it. It's a transformation. Marriage wasn't just a beautiful wedding ceremony, which it was. But it's an ongoing commitment. It's a daily relationship. It's two people in cooperation together. So look what it says a little further back in Hebrews 10. Pick this up in verse 32. It says, Remember those earlier days after you'd received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood by, side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Remember those earlier days, he said. Think back to the day you got baptized. Okay? Let me just see see that you're thinking about it. Got any smiles out there? Does thinking about your baptism bring a smile? Why? Because you felt clean. You were washed. You were sprinkled. You were... Something amazing happened. You know that the sacrifice of Jesus was having an effect in your heart. And actually through the gift of the Holy Spirit, you know that God was coming to make His home in us. You know, this story isn't the same for each one of us. When you read these words, you realize when these people became Christians, they suffered. When Jewish people became Christians, there was a little time where they didn't get persecuted, but it didn't take too long until there was a lot of opposition in the Jewish religion or the practice of it against the Christians. So some of these people, they suffered, they were publicly exposed to insult, they were persecuted, they at least stood by side by side with those who were treated that way, they lost their property... But they didn't mind. They weren't grieving about these losses because they knew they had something better. It's our conviction that that our faith about God's promises is what will keep us standing. It's knowing God is faithful that will really help us be faithful. And that was really what we talked about a couple weeks ago. God's faithfulness is the beginning and the basis for our faithfulness. So look a little further in verse 35. It says this, Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a very little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. 
And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Don't throw away your confidence, but your confidence must be based in what Jesus has done for you. It's focused on the sacrifice of Jesus. Don't throw that away. But we show our confidence by living in faith, by faith. The righteous one will live by faith. And if, another condition, if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. You know, I've um, been having some good discussions with some parents, uh, mainly teenage parents, but just talking a little bit about in how we deal with our relationship with our children. You know, one of the things that really hits me is it's easy for us to hold back our love and respect if we don't accept what the other person is doing, if we don't approve. And see, the thing about God is He loves us and respects us just as we are right now. He actually does that for everybody in the whole world, everyone who's lost and everyone who's saved. He loves them equally and respects them equally. Because love is when in your heart you're willing to give up something for somebody. That's love. You value them above yourself. Well, God does that for everyone. Respect is when you see value in someone and you can actually identify it and say, that's valuable. God has that for everybody. But commendation and pleasing God, these are a response to who we are, how we live. He loves us and respects us, but He can't commend us for something we didn't do. How would you feel if you got thanked? This happens occasionally. You know, someone, Tammy does amazing work organizing something, and then someone comes up and says, Andy, that was great. And I like to go, no, it was Tammy, okay? You know, it's nice to be commended. It's nice if someone's pleased. But we've got to make sure the credit goes to the right person. Now, God isn't going to commend me for what Jesus did on the cross. He'll commend Jesus for that. And He already has. And it's been a blessing to all of us. Amen? But God looks at each one of us. And and yes, though he, He doesn't count our sin against us, we live in a relationship with Him. He sees if we sin. He sees if we have faith. He sees how we respond to Him. He's not blind. His forgiveness hasn't blinded him to our actual state in this moment. He loves us all the same. But what pleases God is faith. And we'll get into that into chapter 11, which we'll actually have to do next week. Okay. But it's faith that pleases God. Hebrews 11, verse 6. But the word here that really hits me is, He will commend us. It says uh, that... that Don't throw away your confidence. It'll be richly rewarded. And then he goes, My righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I won't be pleased with him. But that's the opposite. He's pleased by us when we live in faith. You know, what does it mean to live by faith? You know, we might not go under the same kind of tests that that these Christians themselves were going under. But I think we know when our faithfulness is being tested. You know, I wrote down a few things here, and I think you could think about a lot more. 
But I think God is pleased when faithful disciples don't accept the university placement or a job promotion and, and a move because they would be moving to a place where there wouldn't be a fellowship of disciples. They would actually move into a place that would make them weaker as Christians. I think God is pleased when we make that kind of sacrifice. I think God is pleased when disciples are still cheerful, serving and giving, even when others around them seem to have become more selfish and worldly, and some have even given up altogether following Jesus, who once had stood by them side by side. God is pleased when we persevere that way. I think God is pleased when faithful disciples honor, respect those in positions of authority in their lives. Could be parents, could be bosses, could be government, could be husbands, could be even church leaders, even when those people do not deserve it. And as a a number of those things, a parent and a church leader and a husband, I know that I don't always deserve it. But you know, God appreciates when people do the right thing, even when it's not an easy circumstance. Faithful disciples giving up being married rather than marry someone who is not a disciple. See, that sacrifice is being made, has been made, and God is pleased if you don't compromise your faith because of something else that you do want, and it's real, and even there's every right that you should have it from a human point of view. You know, just lastly... Faithful disciples giving financially to benevolence, the local church, and the missions, even when it means not having all the same material possessions as their neighbors. You know, nothing's more dangerous than looking back at past sacrifices and start wishing, what if I hadn't made that? Boy, if I hadn't been supporting missions, I could have had a new car right now. Oh, I would have had a house. I, you know, we, could, we could list off all these things we could have had. Now, now, what are we doing? We're throwing away our sacrifice. Because God is pleased when we prioritize. God is pleased when we put someone else ahead of ourselves. But it's, it's easy to become discontent. And the Christian life is difficult. It's not easy. But we're not in it alone. We're in it with Jesus and we're in it with each other. And so it's all about the end game. Yeah, I was talking to some uh, people yesterday about the football game. I got a little update on it about three quarters of the way through. I hope this doesn't hurt anybody's feelings just sharing about the facts of yesterday. But, um, you know, I... It was an Arsenal supporter I was talking to. I won't mention names. But um, I said, how's it going? They said, great. Well, I said, okay, I already know who's winning. So what's the score? 3-0. And I thought, well, the game's not over, you know. How many shots on net has there been, both sides? Oh, it's been like, you know, 13-14-2 or something like that. I go, okay. You know, it looks like it's heading in a certain direction. You know, we have to learn to not give up. And, and what I appreciate today is I was talking to Chris Vasey and he, on the phone, and he was all rosy and happy. 
And, and, and I'm not saying he wasn't struggling a little, but he was already moving on. He was already hoping for the future. He was already, you know, he, has he become any less a Villa supporter? No. But his loyalty was tested. But he's also invested, isn't he, Julie? Judy? Yes. You know, making that trip down to Wembley yesterday. and You don't need to leave now, Chris, sorry. Yes. Oh, he's got his Aston Villa. But the point is this. God's invited us into a relationship. And it's all based on what He offers us. But He's also asking us to be faithful in return. And He views it as a marriage. He views it that seriously. It's, it's a covenant of love. And we could never do this by ourselves. It's impossible. He's the one that's made it possible. But there is a side of it of our cooperation. And so we read this passage, which actually seems really strong. But how do you describe the scenario where people refuse to come in out of the firestorm for shelter? They've been warned the firestorm's coming. There's a place of refuge they could go to. And they don't take the opportunity. And so in the end, the result is just as if the firestorm had happened without them being invited. That's the way it looks, but that's not the truth. The truth is that God loves, that God has made the way open for us through Jesus Christ. And He simply wants us to remember those earlier days and not to throw away your confidence. You know, the great thing about salvation... Our part isn't perfection. Our part is simply faithfulness. And faithfulness isn't perfection. Faithfulness is just when you get knocked down, you get back up. Faithfulness is when you make a mistake, you go, that was wrong. I'm going to go do what's right. You repent. Faithfulness isn't perfection. But it is a direction. And it is a connection with God. And so as we have spend some time today just thinking about the amazing things God has done for us. Let's hear what He wants us, how He wants us to respond. The response is faith. The response is to hear His Word and to trust Him and to please Him with all of our hearts. And you know, we will fail to please God from time to time, but actually it's not the pleasing Him that saves us. It's just the pleasing of Him that brings the commendation. The salvation is a gift received through faith, through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together as the worship team comes up and takes their places. Our Father and mighty God, we are so grateful just for the way you have worked in history. And Father, it's amazing the lengths that you went to, to choose a people for yourself, to to call Abraham out of the comfort of his city into the into a foreign land. Father, just all these things that you did so that we could learn what it means to be chosen and called, what it means to be your people. And Father, we think about all the animals that were sacrificed in hundreds of years of Jewish history and all really in vanity because the only real forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ. Thank you that one sacrifice now has removed all that. But Father, I pray that we can really grasp our side of our relationship with you as we seek to grasp your side. 
Help us to, as we look into your love, into your grace, help us also to look into our own hearts and, and see our faithfulness and remake that decision every day to simply follow you with all of our hearts. Father, thank you for this opportunity of giving we have with our missions contribution. I pray that we can, each one can do as they're able to really help the work in India as well as uh, here in the UK. Father, thank you for the benevolence that we're able to do through Hope Worldwide. And then I know individually, uh, different people have uh, different opportunities in helping those around them. Father, please bless that sacrifice. And help us also, Father, as we give to the work of the local church here, Father, we want this church to grow in maturity and in depth. And Father, we also want it to grow in size. We want there to be more people sharing in the wonderful blessings that we have in relationship with you. But Father, we are just so grateful that you have shown us the truth. Father, we know that we don't understand everything yet. We know there's so much more to learn just about you. Your love is wider and deeper and higher than anything we can imagine. But Father, you've invited us in. And just like we do with a family, Father, we we learn as we go. And Father, we just thank you that we can have this kind of relationship with you. Father, bless our week. Help us to find ways where we can live by faith this week. Help us to look for things that will please you in what we do. Help us, Father, to be full of joy in our hearts. Help us to be grateful for what we have. Help us, Father, to be generous in how we live. Father, help us to pass on the grace that you give us to others. And Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.